Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Welcome in, everyone. My guest today is Anita Grace Brown. Anita helps prepare hearts and minds for a loving relationship with Mother, Father, God, Creator by facilitating practices like yoga, prayerful meditation, and chants. Her strength in moving toward human suffering and witnessing it has allowed her to glimpse profound healing in relationships. Surrendered to Christ, her faith is forged through an East meets West holistic approach that I love and can't wait to discuss with her. Anita and her husband, Bob, share their home with their golden retriever, Sierra, in New Jersey and maintain a loving home away from home for their adult children. Her first book is Kamikaze Yogi, Christ, Yoga, and the Courage to Emerge. It's being published by the Shia Sophia House imprint of Choir and releases on March the 9th, which is not too far away at all. It's an honor to welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Anita Grace Brown. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, We usually start off with folks telling us about their spiritual upbringing. Were you raised in a faith tradition? So I was Catholic, but no one in my household was really interested in attending on Sundays. So somehow I found my way there by myself at the age of 13. And I was interested in being a reader. So my memories are that there was something about it that was beautiful and I wanted to participate. But in terms of my family, they were more about um, make sure you make your sacraments, uh, not so much a personal relationship with Jesus. When did that change for you? When I met my husband, we began dating at 21 and had been friends in high school. And his family are deeply rooted in faith. His grandmother's father was a pastor in Armenia, and his uncle was a pastor in Boston. So I was thinking today about how I married into the Brown family and Bob's parents and he and his brother all deeply rooted in faith. And it's really informed these past three decades. So talk to us about the deepening of your your personal faith. You said you you were kind of raised in an atmosphere where there wasn't an emphasis on personal relationship. Um, But from your book, I can tell that that's become a real part of who you are. Uh, What was that like for you? Was there an awakening that took place? You know, you mentioned when you met your husband and, and his family. Did that happen all at once or has it happened gradually over many years? So really gradually, I don't want to discount what my faith was like before my (laughs) awakening, which has been many experiences of like rebirths over the past 10 years. And they've been, you know, painful and beautiful. But I don't want to discount what came before that, because what came before that was a deep longing that was really unmet because of my trauma, because of Uh, wounding and healing that needed to take place in my body. And that's why I wanted to share in the form of a book with people that have a beautiful faith, but there's something that they feel like is disconnected. Something about the experience of Emmanuel, God with us. So yeah, so I, I loved going to church and I loved praising and singing, and I love the people around me who love Jesus, but I often felt like for me personally, when I needed him to show up, 
<laughs> I really wasn't convinced that he was going to be there for me. So there was a lot of pain and a lot of, um, I write about in the book about how I felt like I almost destroyed my marriage because of that pain. And so it was through these experiences on my yoga mat, some in public studios where I had these rebirths and many more alone in my basement where I released the memory of, of trauma and pain and found myself feeling clearer and grounded and starting to hear from Holy Spirit. What was your first exposure to yoga? I was trying to get pregnant. I was about 30 years old and we experienced three years of infertility. So we're talking about 25 years ago. So they weren't on the corners of every town like they are now, yoga studios. There was an evening class at the local high school that someone said, you ought to try yoga. That'll help you relax to try to get pregnant. And I enjoyed that. And then ultimately did have two beautiful, miraculous children, was home busy raising them for six or seven years. And then as I approached 40 years old, I found myself uh, walking into the local yoga studio, which had opened in our town. And the teacher I had gone to high school with, but she was quite a, a number of years younger than me. So we didn't overlap, but we knew each other. And she before she opened the studio, was an English teacher. So her gifts were in storytelling. And I would have 90 minutes on my mat, and she would tell these beautiful stories from the scriptures. The Bhagavad Gita is the yoga Bible. And we were just enchanted. She would combine the stories with the practice and the breath work. And at the end, she would say, I hope you have the feeling that you had three things happen. You went to the gym, you went to therapy, and you went to church. Uh -huh. And I would think that's exactly what this 90 minutes and my $12 <laughs> feels like. It's a miracle. And she wasn't a Christian. And I remember, like so I said 15 years ago, having this narrow, inherited church-like you know, the Christians are the ones who are, they have the truth. And who is this person telling me these truths and, and helping me experience spirituality? And I would ask her, I don't understand. So what are you? <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous now. You know, it sounds so ignorant. But at the time, you really feel isolated that you, you know, everybody is either Catholic or Protestant or atheist. And there really wasn't an in-between at that time. And so I would say she was the first person that I wanted to know, well, are you a Buddhist? Are you a Hindu? And basically she would just say, no, I'm just spiritual. And that kind of, you started to see more of that. Spiritual, not religious. So now we, you know, would say we know lots of people who describe themselves that way. Right. For you personally, was yoga immediately part of your spiritual practice or was it, uh, you mentioned kind of starting off in yoga to relax and to relax your body physically. Um, was, was it immediately a spiritual spark for you? It was. It definitely had this component of 
you left standing taller and feeling like something really special was happening and you couldn't put your finger on it, but you needed more of that. You were addicted to that feeling of what now is like heaven on earth. Okay, everything's right with my world. And even though all the same, you know, problems are still there and have to be dealt with, there was this inner experience of transformation of my mind and of my, the way I saw myself and experienced myself that was so enticing and just had me going back for more. And then I had that period of deconstruction where everything I thought I knew about Jesus had to come apart. And definitely because my husband was not experiencing these awakenings and he was not yet practicing any yoga, he would wonder, there was definitely a season, is my wife still a Christian? And I would say, yes, I love Jesus, but there's so much happening inside of me that, you know, I really couldn't explain very well. And then I found myself meeting a woman who embodied what I knew, this East meets West, a yogi who loved Jesus, I met her. And she asked me if I had ever read Jesus in the Lotus. And that book was a huge turning point for me to start to uh, pursue things like the universal Christ concept that Father Richard Rohr has taught on and written books about and podcasts about. And then beginning to continue to explore that the shape of the cross is very much pointing to a universal aspect of this Christ love and energy and spirit, and then a very specific to our religion aspect. And you can decide to stay in that or not. And I felt called to stay and to keep putting down roots in the tradition of Christianity. And last year in 2020, I read the Bible um, for the first time, cover to cover. And up until that point, I was definitely one of those people. I had a resistance to the Bible because when I was most struggling and I needed Jesus and I had these Christians around me and I would say, my marriage is falling apart, my health is falling apart, my brain is breaking, I don't know whether I you know, need to see a neurologist, I can't remember anything, I didn't believe I could learn anything new, I failed yoga teacher training because of that lack of belief in myself. And all they had to say was, read your Bible. And it felt like such a slap in the face that for years I resisted reading the Bible because I just wanted to scream, that's not going to help me. And so um, today I had the thought, what I've experienced is that scripture, physician, heal thyself. And so now when I read the Bible, there are those nuggets that just jump out at me as alive and truth. And it's very beautiful, but I would never prescribe anyone <laughs> that they think they're going to heal just by reading a Bible. When you first started off in yoga and, and even in the years since, has there been any conflict for you between, you know, the traditional Christian faith and, and your spiritual practice of yoga? 
It does seem like it's getting to be more and more in the distant past because I feel like my gifts have been ahead of their time. So when I first came to our local church, the Holy Spirit called me to Circle of Hope here in South Jersey and Philadelphia, and it's coming up on five years ago. And I wanted to talk about all of these beautiful things that we're talking about. And I wanted to share, you know, these prophetic ways and mystical ways that I was experiencing God. And it was too soon. So I had to really be humbled and be a part of the body in a way that they could get to know me and me to slow down and me to begin to really listen to what people are ready to hear. So that was a very painful journey for a couple of years because you feel rejected and misunderstood. But at the end of the day, it all really serves God's high purposes to meet people where they are and not to expect them to meet Anita where she is. So how has the East meets West holistic approach helped you experience healing personally? So in the book, I try to make it clear that East represents other to each reader. So that other can be, you know, how many hundreds of ways that we have fears and we resist God and we resist life and we resist our physical bodies and we resist the spirit. So that's the other, that's the East. And I think that makes it really understandable. Anybody could then start to say, hmm, Yeah, I have a lot of East that I don't want to integrate. So the practices I tried to make as body prayers that would feel really beautiful and wouldn't feel foreign to people, just to breathe and stretch and um, make that connection to the body and begin to explore how, how does this feel for me? Am I really disconnected from my body? Or do I feel like this is just another natural extension of what I already do in my other forms of, you know, creating art or exercise? Because the yoga, the word means yoke. So you're just yoking to your heart, to your true self. So where we are now in 2021, I know that people want to explore that and the body prayers and there's some imaginative prayers in there. I think they're super, super accessible and it doesn't come across as I'm trying to convince anybody that you need to leave your faith or that there's anything, you know, so bizarre about this. Although there are plenty parts of the book. My pastor read the book and he said, this book is really strange. He said, but in the best way, because the (laughs) Bible is really strange. So That's really helpful to me to tell people, you know what, there are going to be parts that are so strange to you. And I really, you have to trust the spirit is going to speak to you about what that means to you. So I felt bold in in trusting that kind of languaging that felt strange at times. In the uh, author bio on the back of your back cover of your book, it mentions you being surrendered to Christ. Can you tell me what that means to you now? Yeah. So as a real practical example, I get on the spin bike in the basement three or four days a week and I push myself to exhaustion, not for long, five to 10 minutes. And it's in that physical pain that 
my body will remind me of something unprocessed. It's usually anger. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's grief. But those are the big ones. And so surrender to Christ to me right now, today, means that in that emotion that arises in like physical pain, I surrender. So I'm not going to permit myself to carry that into my day. I want to hand that over. So whoever it's directed at, I'm now going to get off the bike and get into child's pose and bring them into my heart and truly ask Jesus to help me love and forgive and surrender what he showed me that was basically hidden. So that's the beauty of um, what comes to mind often is how you hear people say, well, you need 10,000 hours of practice of anything before you master it. So I've been doing this for 17, 18 years. That's probably a lot more than 10,000 hours. So I feel that that truth of what's blocking me from his full presence Every day, basically, I can I can get to the gem of it and feel the emotion behind it and set myself free. Mm. How do you respond to, uh, I know that at least in the Bible Belt where I've lived uh, most of my adult life, anytime you mention anything like yoga or meditation, uh, even something like mysticism, which obviously there are some incredible examples of Christian mystics, um, but there's so much suspicion and accusation of new age and, and things like that. How do you deal with pushback from traditional Christians about your spiritual practice? Thank God in the maturity that he's given me over these last few years, I'm not speaking to them. They're in fear mode and they can't hear me. So I have no interest in trying to convince anyone of anything. That's Holy Spirit's job. So if the book should end up in their hands, I hope that they have some kind of, um, you know, reckoning. But I have really been set free from changing minds in the way that, you know, you, you originally asked the question, how do I address them? I just wish them well. And, and I'm, I'm sad that there is a lot of fear uh, in our faith and I hope that little by little, they begin to explore why, you know, they have that judgment and that fear, because there's so many beautiful people in the world of every faith or no faith at all. And God's using them. That's how big our God is. And that's how small minded Christians can be. So an example of that is I was teaching uh, yoga and meditation in prison. And I was meeting with the same group of men every Tuesday. And a Muslim man turned to me one day after getting to know each other for a few months. And he told me that he told his wife on the phone how much he appreciated my coming and my commitment to them and what he was learning through the meditation and that I was a lovely Christian woman. And he told me that he was praying over me and that he anointed me. And I left there and I wrote a poem about how a Muslim man anointed me with more of Christ. And so 
you have to be open to what God is doing. If you think you're there to save everybody, you're going to miss being saved yourself. So that was an incredibly beautiful gift. And just, I hope that story in and of itself gets people thinking like, hmm, (laughs) she's got a point. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Okay, I want to throw out some uh, common uh, words from religious construct and just kind of get your take on them now. When you hear the word God, what does that mean to you? Being itself. Christ. Christ, I think, is the quantum interconnectedness. So the science behind it. Church. We are each the church. We are each walking around bringing Jesus into the world. Discipleship. Hmm. God, Christ, Jesus have brought me people that they want me to disciple that I wouldn't necessarily choose for myself. And so what that has looked like is feeding them from my soul and um, loving and encouraging and spending time with and my biggest takeaway is that my ego has to get out of the way because it's not usually something Anita would choose, but it's very obvious that it's part of God's plan. And so um, when I disciple someone, it's usually surprising to me. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, congratulations on your book. It's going to be releasing just a few days after this podcast comes out. Um, It's wonderful. I hope all of our friends listening today will get a copy of it. What led you to write the book, to actually write down your story and your journey and to share what you've learned with others? So I had never written anything. I got to be in my 40s and uh, the yoga and the meditation began to tap into a creativity that I was surprised about. And I began to write poetry and I thought, wow, this is kind of fun. So I want people to know that like at any age, you can start to tap into these different gifts. And then I started to feel called to a book and it just felt so overwhelming. I was teaching a lot of yoga. I was running yoga retreats and I felt God call me one morning to go swimming. And I write about it in the book, how I was swimming. And I began weeping as I felt him say, you're to quit all your teaching jobs and you're picking up your shallow roots, the things you don't believe about yourself. And you're putting down deep roots, writer's roots. And just like believing him and trusting him and then watching as he would like give me these little clues. So I spent a year writing. It wasn't a book. I sent it to my editor and she said, this is just like (laughs) messy ideas. And it was really humbling to basically say, okay, now we start over again. Like I needed that year to just pour out and be a beginner and not know what I was doing and then have a professional help me. And so then I spent two years with the editor back and forth and structuring. And the book is structured around the seven chakras aligned with Mary Magdalene's seven, what we would call her sins, but I really like to point out how they're ultimately our gems, kind of what I described in the the biking and the sweating, like the anger becomes 
metamorphosized into, you know, surrender and, and something beautiful between me and another human. So once I had the structure, I was able to incorporate my story and practices and poetry and how these chakras, these energy centers in each and every human, how basically the heart is the center of our bodies and how when we operate from the heart and we bring in life into our heart and then figure out, we're not really even figuring out, we're just trusting God's divine intelligence that this energy knows what to do and it will help. And it, um, the yoga practice, when I said I was just committed to that feeling and coming back to my mat, it's called the prana or the life force begins to heal what needs healing. So for me, it was primarily chronic irritable bowel and PMDD, which is a woman's issue that is a lot like bipolar. So huge emotional swings for 15 years that really got calmed down as this life force began to do its job in me. So the book just naturally unfolded. And I remember one of the most beautiful moments was at the Wild Goose Festival in Asheville. I was there to teach some yoga. And uh, William Paul Young got up on the stage to tell us his story of the shack. And when he said, I just wrote this simple book for my family, I wrote it for my children. He said, and then God grabbed it and said, now I'm going to share this with my children. And my whole body lit up with goosebumps. And so that was that reminder from God, you too have a story, I will share it with my children. And so just trusting, you know, these little nuggets, um, every step of the way has been really beautiful. Hmm. So what type of reader do you think benefits most from the book? Who do you hope will find it? I'm trusting that people that have read it so far, so you've read it, other podcasters, my launch team, uh, some uh, local ladies who are exploring yoga practice, they say to me, I think you're really going to reach that group of Christians that feels lost right now. They're deconstructing, they've left the church, or they want to leave the church, they're disillusioned. So I imagine, similar to myself, uh, you love Jesus, but community is hard, and you know that He's much better than anyone has been able to verbalize. Mm. If there was one message that you'd want a reader to take away from the book, what would that message be? Your participation in the kingdom is needed, and it probably isn't what you think, um, but your heart knows, and to trust that. And every day, our participation is just in the smallest of ways, just loving people, just making food for our neighbors or sending texts. They become these like widows might, you just realize your offering is changing someone's life. It, it, it could save someone's life. And I think we minimize our connection to one another. And so the yoga practice will help open the heart, enliven the heart, so that through the spirit, you feel like you matter and that the ways that you love really matter. Would you read us an excerpt from the book? Would love to. I'm just going to read from... The prologue. So this is just the opening two pages. It's a late May day, fierce winds as if March, no sign of the sun. 
I'm at my in-laws beach house to finish what God started over two years ago, this book. Last week, our 22-year-old daughter graduated with high honors on a full scholarship from Syracuse University. Because of the pandemic, we could not celebrate her, capped and gowned, in glorious joy, nor celebrate the energy of life, the promise of future, in and with all the human doings in her class of 2020. On this May day, I slightly resist, then go outside to move my body, walk the dog. I pick up the pace, sprint for a block. Minutes later, on seeing a sign displayed in a living room window for someone named Bill, a new Rutgers graduate, I burst into tears, unable to touch the memory, that significant period of my life when I graduated college, the first generation of my family on American soil to do so. On this May Day, I realize I have blocked out much of my young adult life, too busy surviving before, then, after, and seemingly always. Father, forgive us. We know not what we do. We don't block and numb because we want to. We don't intentionally abandon our inner child out of cruelty. On this May day with fierce winds, purposefully stirring my inward sea with a faceless bill in the window, no caps tossed in the air at Syracuse, my own non-celebration folded away in a drawer of past. I weep openly, telling my 22-year-old self, I haven't forgotten you. I am here. You are here. We are reunited. On this May day, the wind swirls round my younger self. The square on my calendar becomes emblazoned with TK, Talitha Kumi, the power of Aramaic words spoken in scripture to a child from the son of man's own mouth a rebirth representing restoration and resurrection as Jesus breathes new life. As those words reach me on this May day, I boldly announce, Talitha Kumi, arise, little one. You were dormant, not dead. Wow. That's such a beautiful passage. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, the book, once again, friends, is called Kamikaze Yogi, Christ, Yoga, and the Courage to Emerge. I wanted to ask you about that phrase before I let you go, Anita. The courage to emerge. What are we emerging from? And uh, practically, how does it change our lives as we emerge? Our subconscious minds are really conditioned and habituated by our parents and the ways that we experience life during the first 10 years on earth and all the ancestors that came before us and their struggles and their survival. And so we're emerging into a thriving. We're helping our nervous systems to get past our fears and our limitations that we set on ourselves and that others set on us. And it's all subconscious. So these practices begin to awaken us to be bolder and to emerge and to just be yourself and to feel the permission to be messy and not be perfect. And so I think the message of the book is often, you're gonna mess up and you're gonna sin and you're gonna fail and that's all okay. That's all part of the story. Wonderful. Well, it's such a great book. And I do hope that our listeners today will uh, 
We'll get a copy of it. We're going to put links in the show notes uh, so folks can find you and your work online. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners, somebody who's just listening, they're not looking at the show notes right now, what's the best way for them to get a copy of the book and to engage with you online? You can get the book on Amazon on March 9th. That's the launch day. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Anita Grace Brown. And I have a podcast with 15 to 25 minute uh, Jesus yoga practices called It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. So people can practice with me and listen to the podcast and already, you know, before the book comes out, begin to check out. That's the best place. There's a hundred episodes there that I created in the year before I wrote the book. So um, it's five o'clock somewhere. That's easy to remember. And yeah, just my name, Anita Grace Brown on social media. Okay, friends, we're going to put links to all of that in the show notes once again, so you can find it easily. Anita, thank you so much for sharing your story, for sharing this book with us, and uh, I'm looking forward to more from you in the future. Thank you, friend. It was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or by joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can help us produce future episodes by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash messy spirituality. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at messyspirituality.org. We'll be back soon with another new episode.